0: Welcome to the 2020 review and roundup of the year for the Watches of Switzerland group. The guests we have for this episode are Mark Tolson, head of global watch buying, and friend of the group, Bill Prince, long-serving watch journalist and luxury consultant. The roundup episodes are always really interesting for me as we review the last 12 months, and let's be honest, what a year it has been. In no uncertain terms, it's been a year like no other, So I'd like to talk to you both about COVID and how it's impacted the business, industry, and consumer spending, review how products have been launched through virtual fairs this year, discuss key pieces that have come out, your favorite models and collections of 2020, and end your thoughts with uh, how you think 2020 is going to proceed. Bill, it's great to see you. We've worked together before and you've partnered with the group on many occasions. But for those who don't know Bill, I'll give a brief overview. After a career in music journalism, Bill Prince joined British GQ as Features Director in 1997. The following year he was promoted to Deputy Editor and was instrumental in launching GQ Men of the Year Awards. A regular attendee of its annual watch fairs, Bill continues to attend worldwide industry launches and in 2019 was invited to become an Academy member of the GPHG, Oscars of the watch industry. That's quite a resume, Bill. How are you? I'm
1: very well, Faye. Thank you for that build-up. It's been an extraordinary year, as you say, and uh, it's very gratifying that we're here together, socially distanced, of course, Mm -hmm. to talk about what has, against all the odds, been an amazing year for watches, for, for aficionados of watch collecting, and actually for the brands who've really stood up and presented great, great product.
0: Indeed. So it would be remiss of us not to start with covid Mark, you oversee both our USA and UK businesses. Let's start how it's impacted the business and what we have done to navigate around it.
2: I think one of the words you mentioned early on in the introduction, Faye, was was uncertainty. And I think when we were all um, coming into this in in late February, early March, I think that was one of the key things. And when when the lockdown started, um, I don't think we had really any idea how we, how we were going to deal with it from a you know from a, a purely uh, professional work-related point of view, um, and um, it's it's been a remarkable six months, uh, twelve months, whatever whatever we are now. Um, I think the business um, in the UK has been has been astonishing the way we reacted. We always had a a really strong e-commerce business. Um, and obviously, when people had a lot of time at home um, and still an inclination to shop, um, our e-commerce business has, has, has grown um, hugely and, and continues to grow. Um, and I think um, in the US, it's relatively un- underdeveloped, at least our, our e-commerce business, but it, it's growing. And then from a physical retail point of view, I think once we, uh, w- once we opened, uh, we took all the precautions that we, we were required to take in terms of, you know social distancing you know hand sanitizers every um and we were we were happy to welcome people back uh, and people have come into the stores and they've been really really uh, really pleased to see us i think um we have appointment systems so uh you know people can uh, book their slots. so we've done all sorts of things all sorts of things like that both in the us and the uk to uh to, to um to to encourage people to, to come out and shop with us again um I think one of the other things that we've done, um, a little bit like we're doing now, is is the growth of of podcasts and and, uh, teams meetings and presentations uh, that our sales teams have done to to clients. So it's changed our world. um, And, um, you know, obviously, it's such a it's a terrible thing is is a global pandemic. But um, purely from a professional point of view, I think we've reacted really well.
0: Absolutely. It sounds like all the changes that you've just discussed have been very people-led. Um, we're used to it all being um, central, uh, product-centric. But I think what's really interesting is how we have responded and um, reacted to our consumer demands. They've got to be comfortable. We don't sell anything that's, that's a, a, let's be honest, a, a, a necessity. But all of those things that you've talked about have been really customer-focused. And I think you said um, when clients have been comfortable coming back to the, to our stores, there are a lot of places people don't want to travel to. So I think it's quite an interesting point where um, the one of the you know once once the necessities are done and out the way, let's go watch shopping.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I I I agree with you, um, and I think, I mean, looking at it from a, from a member of the store team's perspective, um, when our stores were closed in, in you know March, April, May, etc. You know, all those people were uh, were effectively sitting at home, uh, and and we had um, a huge uptake on all the e-learning platforms. So our sales team, who are you know a, a, you know a, a knowledgeable people, really took the opportunity to, to expand their expand their knowledge through that sort of downtime of three months. So I think um, I think some people have used the time really really wisely uh, with it within within our business, and that should make the experience when experience when people come back into store perhaps a bit more informative and a bit more speedy because you know some people want to kind of come in and, and, and get out re- really quickly. Um, so yeah, I think there's been, uh, there have been some benefits to this uh, crisis.
0: Absolutely. Um, okay, thank you. And in an industry that's fiercely proud of its heritage um, and one that purposely seeks to remain loyal to its traditions in many, uh, um, with many brands, do you think it's changed the landscape of the watch industry?
2: It absolutely has. Yeah, it really, really has. Um, I mean, purely from um, um, I mean, we are a traditional industry, as he said, and, and we've 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 kind of been anchored by by two main uh, watch fairs, one in January, um, the S I H H as it was called, um, and um, and and then obviously the Basel fair um, around Easter time every year, um, and those are the the physical the physical anchors in the in the in the calendar. That we, w- we would uh, look forward to visiting every year see the new product and that kind of sets the year up for us um, this year there was none of that
0: yeah it's, um, it's 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 we've had to adjust quite quickly and um, bill do you think consumer patterns um during this period um have have changed i mean have we learnt to be more patient or have we um is there a demand for immediacy so the amazon effect if it's not arriving tomorrow i'm canceling my account versus um, this is what's happening, do we, do, we, do we pace ourselves and be a bit more patient?
1: Well I would say judging from my inbox anyone who's serious about their watches are very patient people they have to be very patient people and whilst I wouldn't say any industry was particularly set fair ahead of the coronavirus unless you're in medicine um, and big pharma perhaps I would say that in terms of luxury there are certain aspects of the luxury experience that Coronavirus was unable to impact in the same degree from a consumer point of view. Uh, Mark mentioned the appointment systems that you've always run for your clients to make sure that they can have the access and the availability to the product and have a proper moment with you to see it. So that has now become second nature to most other um, brands and store uh, and retailers. That was something you offered anyway. I think in terms of your sales teams, I think luxury sector as a whole has benefited from the fact because there's no strong correlation between the sales team and the consumer than there is in luxury. So your sales teams, wherever they were, were still able to take texts, WhatsApps, emails from their clients saying, we've just seen the new Patek, when, how, (laughs) how long? Um, So I think in some senses, I wouldn't say you were in any way uh, protected, but you did have a lot of the skills that required to bring the watch world alive. And I think speaking a little bit more generally, and I compare and contrast with fashion at this moment, which has had an extraordinary year and in many ways has been lumped together with the luxury industry, but fashion and luxury are quite different. And in terms of hard luxury, for which we refer to watches, you, I think the industry by by the fact that the bulk of the industry is based in Switzerland and we should say hello to Seiko and other non-Swiss-based watchmakers but because the supply chain was necessarily centralized um, and because of the reliability and those long tail relationships that a retailer as yourselves knows about Um, it has made things slightly more understandable, shall we say. So I don't think you lost, no one lost their customer base unless the customer base were not in a position to invest this year. But what you were able to do is recognize that your customer base understood implicitly what the relationship with you was, and you knew implicitly what the relationship Mm -hmm. with the brands were. So I didn't feel, this is a very long answer to a very short question, Faye, but I didn't feel there was any moment when the bottom fell out of, Watches, in the, from the point of view of the consumer's interest, and as we know from our own uh, research, uh, yours and ours, is that when uh, people were in lockdown, they spent an amazing amount of time on <laughs> on websites, yeah. and I think generally, as as it always, there's always an upside. I think that the educational element of spending hour upon hour researching watches that you loved and looking to see what might be coming next has actually resourced the industry so there's mm-hmm. many many more people who know a lot more about watches in december than knew about watches in march I
0: mean that's true i was going to ask if um, you thought this had forced the next level of evolution for both horology um, our industry or in fact wider retail but um, you, you've covered that yet yeah, i mean clearly it's it's um, springboarded just... it
1: yeah i think with respect there is there there was a as every industry had change in its mind and was set fair to make change this year has accelerated any changes they may have had. Where brands have worked specifically to change their modus operandi around sales or around marketing or around production. Um, There's a much larger audience to recognize what's going on. I'm thinking of a brand like Panerai, who've been bringing these exciting uh, eco-led initiatives to market. Um, There's a new, larger audience who might be directed towards that, who perhaps would not have been aware of it prior to this, but now are, because they've spent so much time researching the products. So I do think there has been ships on a rising tide. I don't want to give the impression that anyone's really had a great year, because it's been a very difficult year. But... There has been the opportunity to explore and to understand much more than there was than there was before.
0: Yeah, and we've had the
1: opp-
0: the opportunity to research properly as well. I think there's so and there's never been a better time for content. Um,
1: no, I mean I, I had to say it was a tricky time to create content, um, but again, I think but because the watch industry has. Uh, taken such care and attention over its provenance. Let's face it, I mean product is vital, provenance is what gives the product its allure, its halo, its desirability perhaps. So brands have always been, well, the best brands have always been very good at curating that provenance and putting it into great marketing tools. So from the from the project of putting that out there online, it's been relatively easier than if you were having to cover a catwalk show that never happened or a piece of, it's a hard physical object that can be photographed beautifully and obviously they've always offered animation. So but the challenge is, how do you communicate around brands that were already, and we will come on to this, were already changing how they wanted to bring those um, bits of product to market? And that's where we started the year thinking, hey ho, here we go. And suddenly, where are the watches? Yeah. yeah, And that goes back to your point, Mark, where are the fares? But they were already in a state of change at the start of the year. So unlike some industries where COVID hit them like an absolute blank wall, the watch industry itself was having to face up to a few changes prior to the arrival of lockdown. I think that somehow prepared us for the fact it was going to be a funny old year and it sure was.
0: Yeah, and I think what's interesting for me is um, where it's, it's been perpetuated and um, some of the changes and, the, and the, how people, brands have adapted, some still aren't. We uh, live in, a, in an e-commerce world and everything's online where we still have some brands that are, um, are not ready to or have not yet gone online mm-hmm. um and that might not change and i'm not saying it's right or wrong it's mm-hmm. just interesting the ones that have joined that um, party um and the ones that are fiercely adamant it won't happen anytime soon and the ones that have been there a long time mm-hmm. so um i imagine that well I, I we know that e-commerce has been a very important part of our business over the the past six well unfortunately 12 months now isn't it um but um the the probably do you think Mark some have been forced into that? They feel like they they weren't quite ready to join that party, but they've they've now indulged.
2: It, it did speed up some some brands. Um, uh, you know, uh, for example, uh, sort of uh, IWC, Vacheron, etc., um, became more willing to be online because that was their only medium for for making sales. So uh, so yeah, it did accelerate those sort of things. Um, yeah, those sort of brands.
0: It's not the strongest of the species that survive nor the most intelligent it's the ones that are most adaptable to change so let's see what happens in 12 months time indeed yeah um bill watch fairs you yourself and mark have just briefly touched on that but it's a huge part of our industry and often the highlight of my year i'll be honest how have the fairs changed
1: well fairs, as as i was saying i i think we were prepared for a change in the landscape around fairs trade fairs as anyone knows are quite traditional quite uh and also necessarily hierarchical propositions, which is what brought us all to them. And there's a long tail of beneficiaries and trade fairs. But we could see a peeling away of certain brands from the fairs several years ago. And this was complicated further by the rise of social media specifically, but also the um, websites that were starting to report in real time at fairs, which broke down the correlation, as Mark mentioned, between when you see a what, I'll say that again, because you mentioned it off air, that broke down uh, the relationship between when the brands showed the pieces and when the consumer could hope to buy the piece. And because everything was being shown almost as they appeared on the tabletops at the fairs, and they were being photographed by the uh, journalists and some of the influencers at that time who were starting to attend the watch fairs, um, the brands became concerned about this. And this has forced a a relatively strategic shift in the way brands want to communicate around their timepieces and the fairs did not service that because of the reasons I explained so we had already started to see that brands were peeling away from fairs, going their own way which is wonderful and I think we've all been the beneficiary of being able to see watches exclusively with those brands and not as part of a, a trade fair experience um, that unsettled the trade fairs so we knew that there was going to be some um, uh, some distortions this year we had no idea what was coming next just before before the start of the year, it was announced that um, Sorry, it was announced that S-I-H, It was announced that the Geneva Fair would go first immediately prior to the Basel Fair um, in in April. Uh, therefore, unifying two fairs that had once before run side by side, but had separated for reasons best left to their <laughs> own decision making protocols, they were coming back together as it turned out as we now know neither fair took place well however one fair did take place because the SIHH as it was known rebranded as watches and wonders and went online only which was kind of ironic in the sense that one of the reasons the brands found difficulty with fairs was because they were showing all of their product at the same time as it happened they did announce primarily the first half of their year's products online at the same time. So it didn't resolve that problem, but it did give all of us the chance to experience a watch launch digitally, which we hadn't really had to do before. Some brands had experienced, uh, some brands had experimented with it, but they hadn't really taken it on as a a sales tool particularly. So suddenly we were then in the world of uh, sitting in front of our computers at the appointed hour where we would join a virtual press conference featuring the lovely CEOs and any of the ambassadors who are able to join and then we'd be presented the pieces digitally online and at exactly the same moment if you remember the press ping into your inbox came the uh, the release the high-res images and they went onto the website so it was a major shift and um, well I think we can canter through the year if you wish but The first event, ironically, wasn't a digital-only event prior to lockdown, prior to really COVID becoming the global pandemic. The WHO announced in late February, I think, that it had gone to pandemic status. But prior to that, when it was still an epidemic, The three of us found ourselves in Dubai with um, Louis Vuitton, Moët Hennessy, LVMH watch division, for a a preview of their year's pieces. So we did get to go to one fair, and that was was one highlight of my year, I think. But subsequent to that, it changed completely, and then it became, with the exception of Watches and Wonders, and a later fair, which was always planned to be a a physical event in Geneva, originally slated to take place in uh, July, I believe, Mm Um, which later had to move to September and then became a domestic, largely Swiss-only event which is called Geneva Watch Days. Um, That's been our life. It's been about watching watch launches take place um, through the screens of our computers and to join the dots in the sense that I think we all feel that when we go around the fairs we very quickly get a feel for that year's products and some of the trends and some of the style leads and obviously it gets a great moment for us all to chat away with the, the, uh, the brand's uh, representatives as well we lost all of that I felt I think we didn't quite have that global sense of what was happening so it invented a lot more work trying to join the dots so to speak but overall, I think technically it, it didn't seem to suffer, and um, operationally, it's a given that it had to take place in that way.
0: Quite. And before we go on to how sort of the, the 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 tour, so to speak, you've you referenced um, um in in terms of the the how we get to see the product. For me, it's incredibly important to touch, feel, and wear it. Um, we're making decisions on product for our consumers, rightly or wrongly. So. Mm-hmm. Um, when the when when the brands are launching, Mark, do you think this had an impact on how we made our decisions as um, as, as a retailer this year? Because watches. F- um, with all the experience I have and, and my personal experience, it isn't a purchase as, as, as much as everything else. So Bill correctly said it's you know it's it, uh, in terms of how it's been launched, it's quite black and white. There's there's a process to it. The process was and it was delivered well, all things considering, um, providing your internet didn't go down. But um, the flip side is the tactile element that we completely missed out on. Do you think that would have a that has a longer term effect on how we? considered and purchased and made our buying decisions this year
2: i mean uh, personally it affected me because you know we we saw for example and i guess we'll talk about it a little bit later but when breitling um re rejigged the chronomat um, as, as a 42 mil case on the on the on the roulette bracelet we saw it on screen um and then it wasn't until about a month and a half later, that I went into our warehouse to actually physically look at the thing because I'd never actually seen it in real life. And you put it on and think, "Oh yeah, well that's worked out well," you know. And, you, and, you, and you're quite fortunate when you're looking at it that it's um, that it's as good as it looked on 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 a screen in real life. So there's all those sort of things that um, that. Um, do do affect your decision making. You know there were some watches which uh, you know I would not necessarily mention that you look at, you looked at on the screen and thought oh yeah that looks really good and then you maybe slightly disappointed when you see it in real life. So it's kind of swings and roundabouts. Um, I, um, I, you're right. The physical aspect of seeing the watch putting it on is 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 really really important. Um, but the immediacy um, of uh, of of the uh, of actually seeing the product on the screen as as Bill referenced is really important. And I think. One of the other changes was actually that, um, again, coming back to Breitling particularly, um, although some other brands did it as well, you see the product and then it's in the stores the following day, which that's great for the client because you know, you, you, it condenses all the marketing and all the hype about the, the brand into, into, into one day. And then the following day, they're in the stores because we've done that, we've done that pre-work. So that's, that was an interesting change.
0: Yeah, and I, I think what, where Brightling have excelled with that is they do—they've done multiple launches throughout the year. So what we've been used to with the fairs, traditionally it's one they show all the product, what's coming out that year, and it might be until another towards the end of the year or a year later that it's actually in the stores, depending on the manufacturer and the timeframes. Um, but what Brightling have done and d- delivered really well is several smaller capsule launches or extensions of their ranges and as you say it's been immediate from the launch so they've been quite forward thinking and and market-led so they've taken this opportunity they still would have had that in in production Mm -hmm. it's just how it's been delivered and i think they've they've um, grasped this this situation well
2: i think rolex was another as well the september launches; they were in the stores
1: the following week which You know, it's terrific. I'm sure we'll come on to this later, but I think that's a fundamental point. The, The idea of see now, buy now had entered the fashion world several years ago mm-hmm. and the concept of multiple drops which you describe, has been in fast fashion particularly but in most fashion now for many years and for the for the uh, for the journalists for the hard-bitten journalists going to the fairs there was always a sense that there was always a draw below the draw they were taking from to show you watches mm-hmm. which is what the you guys would be looking at mm-hmm. because it would be the second half of the year or the yeah. late half of the year um, it has felt a little bit more egalitarian this time because there's been multiple moments to join brands such as breitling to look at their product but it feels like everyone's seeing everything for the first time i may be completely wrong you may have seen the entire collection back in march but i certainly didn't but no it has forced a lot i wouldn't i wouldn't suggest that this is any way uh, a re- it will never be a replacement for for being able to handle the watch and, and coming and also sitting there with someone who can talk knowledgeably about the watch with you and can actually you know, show you elements that even you with the naked eye probably wouldn't spot the first time unless someone's there to say, have you noticed the claws on the Constellation? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, um, there's so many things that, that need to be done, uh, uh, with the watch with you. But it's, it's, I, I do think the brands have worked incredibly well. I also believe that they were very functional about how they, how they kind of, they did by and large shut all production in Switzerland as we know for several weeks and in cases where they could, where resilience was at the fore, they could close for slightly longer and then they brought back servicing and then marketing and then finally sales. But it has allowed them to keep up that sort of rhythm that otherwise would have been lost. And with an industry that isn't as centralised and isn't isn't as vertically integrated, frankly, I don't think it would have coped as well. So
0: all things taken into consideration, they've responded really well?
1: I, I think so. Given that, as I as I was saying, as given uh, that given that the their approach to marketing their watches, and for your sakes, the way that they were bringing pieces to the uh, to the floor of the trading fair, trade fairs, um, I think they were coping with a massive shift in their approach. And then COVID came along, so they almost had to work as we call it in DJing, two decks at once. You know, you're trying to deal with the technological... I'm not a DJ. Technological uh, disruption over here and a COVID-based disruption over here. And I think fundamentally those brands that will survive and the brands that have done extremely well this year, the ones who managed to do both
0: so before we go through a a a tour of the year and 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 what was launched when and how um, mark do you predict there will be a revert to former fair like experiences or will we be seeing much more uh virtual launches or local market exhibitions
2: well um again as 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 bill referenced um, how things were changing already and breitling had pulled away from the fairs anyway and they were having local market presentations either well, physically or, or virtually, as it as it's turned out, I think Amiga were pulling away from um, from the you know the, 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 the big fairs. Um, so I think that will continue with some brands. Uh, the we already know that um, the uh, the Watches and Wonders plus Rolex, Patek, Chopard, and Chanel that was going to happen in April April that that's been pulled for 2021 because of because of COVID. Um, I'd like to see it appear in 2022, but that's because I, you know, for the re- for the reasons we mentioned, I like to actually hold the watches, um, and I, and I like going to the fair, and and and. You know, I went to, uh, I did go to the Geneva Watch Days at the beginning of September or uh, end of August, beginning of September or whenever it was. Um, and it was a little bit weird flying out of Gatwick where there was nobody there. But you arrive in Geneva and it's familiar and, um, and, and you see people that you've known for quite a long time and you see product. And it, and it felt like normal life and it was great.
0: Yeah, there's a, a certain nostalgia, isn't there? We've, we've been doing this for a long time, um, which I suppose lends itself to the... The fact that it's, it's such a traditional industry. Um, so we started the year in Dubai, mm. gentlemen. How did it how did it proceed?
1: Well, it proceeded very well at Dubai, in the sense that LVMH took took the lead, in effect. And um, as Mark said, there was a lot of peeling away from the fairs. Um, I think they'd prior they'd, they'd just about announced that they weren't they were reviewing Basel World that would have taken place this year, as perceived as being their last. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, they were clearly road-testing the idea of doing a standalone LVMH Watch Division event, and they chose Dubai. And those lucky enough to stay at the Bulgari Hotel recall that this was something that was very uh, clearly oriented around telling the brand story under the roof of the LVMH Watch Division story. And the only interesting, not the only, clearly not the only interesting thing, one of the interesting things about it was that Tagoyer, who by volume is probably their biggest um, brand, uh, chose not to launch anything there. They chose to wait because they had the 160th anniversary of their founding Carrera Collection coming. And to a point I made earlier, I do know that the watch that they launched in January was being passed quietly around certain individuals that I didn't get to see. But setting aside Tau not using the Dubai event what was striking was how successfully Hublot and Bulgari and Zenith particularly, which had a very strong collection, straight out of the box this year. I mean, I have, to, I have to say they'd come off an extraordinary year before with the 50th anniversary of the El Primera and done some fantastic iterations. And they'd come straight out of that and been in Dubai in January. And then we saw the Elite. And it was, it was, it was a really strong collection. And U- Hublot, of course, mm-hmm. who could forget the youngest brand of... <laughs> Of them all um, celebrating 40 years of, of Ublo. And you thought back in January, well, Ublo are not shy. I mean, Ublo like a party. There's going to be a lot of Ublo based events mm-hmm. around this. And of course, what happened next? So there was that wonderful moment to see the, the, integra- the, in- the, integrated integrated, yeah, the integrated bracelets on the Big Bang for the very first time. I mean, it was a great moment. And we we're in Dubai. The sun was shining. It was January. What wasn't there to like? So you set out at the beginning of the year, Mark, thinking, well, here we go again. And we just waited to see what the newly unified Watches and Wonders Basel world might look like in April. Mm-hmm. But then the hammer fell. And I think from that moment on, we really were walking in the dark for a long time. And everyone was asking, what are Rolex going to do? What, a, what is yeah. Patek Philippe going to do? And any queries to either of those uh, maisons was met with absolute polite refusal to say anything at all. So you, we tried to manage everyone's expectations whilst we waited to see which brands would, would coalesce first around doing independent launches. And as Mark said, Brightling had already started to do um, its own, in effect, roadshow. When George Cohen joined the brand three or four years ago, he started the the uh, the roadshow uh, approach in Zurich where we all came and saw the very first timer pieces and um, the that continued and I think writing very quickly recognised this is something we've been preparing to do anyway and we should just press the button on it so what would have been a, a roadshow event became in effect a videoed diary of a Brightling launch and I think the first one was when Brightling joined Kelly Slater one of their squad members uh, in the desert outside of LA it is amazing uh, artificial wave center and George Kern was spotted climbing onto a surfboard there and from that moment on there was the sense that they were fine mm-hmm. and then we were really waiting to see what happened around Watches and Wonders and that was as we expected very quickly that was announced as a digital only event which l- went live in effect virtually live on the same dates it would have opened mm-hmm. so in a f- in a funny way we are creatures of habit we are creatures of uh of tradition in this business, and, and the fact that they didn't move the dates or separate the individual brands to give them their own little day in the mm-hmm. sunshine, as you might perhaps might have expected them to do, they did all use those days, and it was actually functionally very successful. I felt, um, mm-hmm. and they, each one, each brand took an hour, mm-hmm. and um, we we awaited the the announcement around the product, and of course we had a big anniversary this year with Panerai around 70 years of Luminor. Um, there was a pre-launch, to be fair, around Watches and Wonders with Cartier around the new Santos and we saw the ADLC at that point. And um, I suppose it was very good that it did come thick and fast because by then we understood that there was no similar event planned for Basel. Basel had basically shut up shop. It was soon after that that Basel mentioned that they might be planning to do a Basel 2021, which no one could quite understand following the announcement that Watches and Wonders 2021, as mm-hmm. was, as opposed to what is now, had already brought Rolex, Chopin, Patek Philippe on board. So there was a moment there where we thought, how will the rest of the industry um, respond? We then had, with respect to many other brands, we we then had quite a long wait for Patek Philippe and Rolex to announce what they were planning to do. Still the tension built and the tension built. And then finally in June, we saw the 6007, the steel case Calatrava, which is the... uh, beautiful um, and a commemorative piece for the opening of the uh, new uh, production facility in Geneva um, which was a which was a stylistically a, a fascinating watch yeah. I and mean, I think you'll agree mm-hmm. it's it's it kind of bridges that gap between a, a dress piece which we, mm-hmm. which is what the Calatrava exists to represent but also the colorway the blue dial the cross hatching um, gave it a real sports feel i mean it was an extremely i thought it was an extremely prescient piece to drop in the middle of a year where everything was changing so it was a disruptive piece for a disruptive year um and yet still no no sign or certainly no sound coming out of rolex so i that's when for me that's when the uh, the internet which had always had been febrile for quite a few months by then i mean people had spent a lot of time at home and had a lot of time researching watches so even those should we say what can we call them lay people should we call them the should we say not our fellow travelers mm-hmm. those who probably don't follow the watch world inside out even those individuals were sort of texting and emailing going what's rolex doing i'd like to know what rolex is doing and then finally as we know we 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 uh, instructively I think in the case of Rolex we got to see the pieces and they came to in our case they came to London to the Rolex HQ in St. Mm James's Square and um, extraordinary uh, uh, PPE in place for all visitors to the uh, to the August House of Rolex and wow i mean didn't it make a huge difference particularly to see the new um, oyster perpetuals uh, with the colored dials i mean to see those in the steel in the metal as they say in the car industry but you know to see them in your hands it reminded you why it's so important to go and and, and see product face to face they were stunning so in a, in, a, in a short time we had moved from a necessarily digitized launch process back into something which felt very amenable safe but also very personal as well and i think that's what the watch brands were able to do because they know at the end of the day the story is reproduce the watches but it's the consumer who brings them to life it's the person who owns the watch that gives it its validity in a sense and that's what makes them so special so it was a it was a fascinating year and of course it didn't end there omega had been d- delivering pieces i was very fortunate as a member of the press to receive to my door a very well packaged collection of three or four of the new constellation pieces, and that was probably back in September time and for a brand to have to go from inviting journalists onto their stand mm-hmm. in small groups for many days to then having to go through the heavy lifting of delivering watches to people's private homes with all, all the necessary insurance and safe safeguarding that has to go on, including the cleaning of the watches before and after I mean it was a fundamentally amazing operation for them to have pulled that off. And a few other brands did the same, but it wasn't the most practical or easy way to go about delivering uh, products into the hands of those that wish to write about them. So I think to bring, to draw this to, to a conclusion, from a marketing point of view, those brands that really investigated how their audience in terms of media wanted to, to witness and to work with the brands around the new product. Those that were the most creative, um, I think, really did a fantastic job. And coming back to Tag Heuer briefly, because we will come on to our watches of the year. But they had held off that beautiful moment in Dubai mm-hmm. and we had to wait until late summer. They, they'd, they'd launched the connected watch early in the summer, which was a, which almost lent itself to a digital only launch in a sense, because they could animate all of the dials on online. But um, we had to wait a bit longer for the for the, uh, piece de resistance piece, which is the new Carrera Sports and Carrera Chronograph collections, which, again, annoyingly, I've yet to get into my hands, but um, surely that won't take too much longer. I'm sure we have some here, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> and when we all thought everything was lost and there was not going to be any physical event take place whatsoever, um, Jean-Christophe Babin Bulgary had long talked of hosting the Geneva Watch Days, which I think he'd hoped to uh, host uh, in July or maybe early August. Due to the nature of the pandemic, had to shift the dates to September. And I'll be honest, I think there were myself included, very few, several people who thought it would probably move again or not. But he held the line, and it took place. And I think they pulled from a local market by and but Mark, you travelled mm-hmm. to the fair. Sadly, I only witnessed it online, but obviously, Gira Perigo, yep. Liz Nardin, and the mm-hmm. Bulgari Aluminium, which was mm-hmm. Uh, is an amazing piece that 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 that, that, that it, it's very true i mean it was nice to go out there
2: um they they pulled it together really really well so um a lot a lot of the presentations took place in boutiques so you went to the yulies nadam boutique and gerard perigo had a kind of pop-up uh, boutique um some of the events took place in hotels um so we saw bové in, in in one of the hotels there and and you mentioned yeah the, the bulgari aluminium um bulgari bulgari uh which was um a uh, sort of reimagining of a watch from the well 1980s 1990s i think it was um but it, it was great to see an aluminium watch with with rubber and it was it was it was it was proper authentic bulgari really and and, and a good entry price point really as well as a, a two and a half thousand pounds i think or something um yeah, two, sorry. Yeah, just under three thousand pounds for the for the three-hand date model, which
1: which was great. And it's a striking design, as you say. It, it, it's trending towards a slightly later uh, era in watches than the era that's really. I felt has been sitting very heavily on the uh, the watch business for a while now, which is the 70s Mm -hmm. the 70s has been sort of sitting there Obviously the antecedents of that are the 50s and the 60s, but we feel that in sports luxury watches for um, to a great degree we've been sitting in a sort of a 70s vibe And now we're coming into the what I would consider to be the near future of watch design And we're getting these really expressive shapes and these great um, Combinations of materials that the Bulgari Bulgari represents in the aluminium And I think this is something we're going to see more And also, I would argue that the appreciably uh, interesting price point is going to become something that's uh, really going to uh, fire up people's determination. I think, without without suggesting this has been a great time for everyone, uh, there has been certain elements of the uh, of the watch buying fraternity, shall we say, who have probably ended the year with slightly more money than they anticipated mm-hmm. ending the year with if they weren't furloughed and they hadn't lost their work their mm-hmm. work, place of work. Um, that seems to have translated directly into the, um, a run on certain models of watches. You touched on the relative availability of the oyster perpetuals mm. but i wonder how the submariner is looking if i was about to come and see you for a <laughs> <laughs> i think it's a,
2: yeah, yeah that's a, that's yeah. a problem yeah yeah. yeah yeah which
1: is almost why we passed over the the, the steel professionals
2: the uh the, the, the submariner i mean they did you know they, they they did a good thing there it's gone back to a black dial with a with the um with a green bezel and it looks really really cool
0: thank you for that that tour of the year it was been quite nice to sort of review in a chronological order um what happened when and how and, and there's been slight differences but it's great to see that we came back to actually seeing physical watches with Rolex um as you said all incredibly sensitively but um it was great uh Mark let's talk watches um look, key launches this year go good <laughs>
2: Oh, um, goodness me. Well, I, I mean, it was a year. It was a year where there was, seemed to be so much. Um, and a lot of it, a lot of it came from Breitling, um, as, as we sort of, as we've mentioned in passing already. I mean, they, um, they've they really gone to town on ladies' watches. Not a traditionally feminine brand, but um, they, they introduced the 35mm Navitimer um, around April time, around, around watches and wonders, but they did it in their own way. That's proved to be an incredibly, uh, incredibly successful watch. Um, and then later in the year, around September, October time, I think it was, um, more ladies watches with the, with the with the Chronomat 32 and 36 mil, um, and and it shows that I guess it shows a real change for for that brand to be focusing so heavily on on ladies product, um, and, and they were all great watches. They're some interesting dial colours, like mint green and copper, etc. So, um, as well as larger ladies sized watches um there was also this color element coming through quite strongly with many brands um but in terms of do I, gosh i can't pick out one watch through the year i mean there were so many things that were that were, that were really lovely um, i mean again we
1: can talk about color with, with rolex perhaps i don't know the, uh, the it's interesting isn't it because we were desperate for uh, almost things that brought cheer it's, yes. it's so interesting yeah. and obviously those watches had been put into production many moons before we thought we'd all be in lockdown in March. And yet, just to see the five colors together, I mean, it just put a smile to your face. Mm -hmm. And I think generally we've seen uh, uh, iterations of color coming through. I think Fumé and Enamel has Mm -hmm. made a huge difference to the watchmaking world. The Meté d'Art that obviously um, several brands are com- is completely endemic in their manufacturing has now found its feet elsewhere i think for me the color was amazing a, a big story i think what had started several years ago with a an adroit reappraisal of the steel watch if you know what i mean it's there were some brands who slightly d- neglected to put higher complications into steel cases and we and we are now we saw some wonderful examples i think the Jaeger-LeCoultre master mm. compressor range with the f- yeah. full calendar chrono i yeah. mean that was a that was a marvelous piece and and the moon phase and the and the and the, the, the day date versions as well i mean i there were very strong collections throughout the year and um it's as you say picking out an individual watch or picking out an individual collection even i thought iwc's portuguese collection this year was was astounding i think both for the colorways that you mentioned and again for bringing the time only 40mm to market which had slightly been lost in the portuguese expression because i think that prior to that they relied on the portofino to cover off that i don't hesitate to use the word entry level but that simple mm-hmm. classic steel round case um, yeah. time only watch I thought that was amazing and then you have Vacheron Constantin doing extraordinary work some mm-hmm. cases in one-of-a-kind pieces but you know there was no shortage of fine fine watch making this year
0: going back to ladies as well Vacheron yeah. were the only brand I think that brought out ladies only collection because whilst yeah. Breitling were focused on mm-hmm. uh, ladies product they obviously brought out um, as part of their different launches so yeah Azurie was yeah. their was mm-hmm. their, their mm-hmm. key launch um, at the beginning of the year, dress watches, of course. What um, if if, if you had a chance to see them? Um, uh, yeah, and and the the. the IWC were very loyal to their, well, the, the collection this year was Portuguese, so mm-hmm. they did the port and the starboard mm-hmm. dials mm-hmm. on the chronograph, um, and keeping with the nautical theme, uh, my favourite actually was the Yacht Club chronograph, large case, mm-hmm. and it's just it's under 44. 45, six yeah, yeah, but, uh, big, big watch. I've rounded it up, but yeah, um, and it's yeah. the only, uh, so steel and rose gold, it's the only bimetal um, watch in their entire catalogue which I I didn't didn't realize until I was kind of looking at a bit more detail flyback chrono um I just thought it was fun it just really made me smile yeah. and it came out when things were normal in that mm. we hadn't we hadn't we'd barely yeah. heard of um of, of covid they we did the preview again I, funnily enough that was on on um on on a on a virtual call but um, that one stuck with me. No particular reason. I just thought it was great.
2: Mm. Yeah, big watch. As they say, bracelet watches, Integrated bracelets. The whole sports watch thing is a, is a, is a big deal. Yeah, yeah there yeah.
0: was quite a lot of integrated this year. You've already yeah. touched on... Well, the Hublot. Hublot, yeah. At, at the
1: beginning of the year. Um, then you had the H. Moser Streamliner, which, which was an early... That was an early appearance, wasn't yeah. it, by the Streamliner. Yeah. And that was a phenomenal piece. Yeah. And uh, there's... Yes, I think we could see some strong trends that had established themselves at the beginning of the year. But then it was interesting how whilst we recognised what the trends had been and were going to continue to be, we kept seeing these extraordinary, mm-hmm. colourful watches. I'm thinking of the, the the Rainbow um, Super Ocean from Brightling. I mean yes. that was you know that was just extraordinary, and it's it'll be interesting to see whether this this um, I don't want to use the term levity because I don't think it's done in any kind of uh, um, sense of humor sense it but if this 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 expression if this much more relaxed approach to how you color up a watch if that becomes something that's um, that's that stays and it isn't just something that was uh, yeah. d- deemed to be suitable for the season so to speak i i don't know it'd be fun it'll be fun
2: i mean i was go- I was going to probably talk a little bit more about um, about about the oyster perpetual because I think that yeah. was because yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we've we've mentioned the colours, but uh, you know, when you think about the Oyster Perpetuals from two or three, four years ago, you had the sort of uh, the red grape and the and the, and the white grape, or, uh, and, and 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 also some of the models that had kind of a grey dial, but kind of blue dots that, that kind of picking out, and it it almost looks like they were, I won't say experimenting with colour prior to this it's in my head i think they were maybe experimenting with color prior to these 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 vibrant dials the coral red the yellow the the green and the and the candy pink and and i i i think i think the oyster perpetuals um you know they're, they're starting around four thousand pounds so they are in in some ways affordable they're, they're accessible because you actually stand a reasonable chance of buying one um but 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 i think um it's it's everything it's it's the stem of rolex isn't it you know you you've got the uh, was it 1931 the 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 the, no sorry 1926 the oyster case the perpetual movement in 1931 and and those are the those are the embodiments of rolex and everything that followed through for in terms of submariners or or owners that they're an extension of that intrinsic intrinsic product and 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 i think that's probably why i love uh, as a collection i think probably the the oyster perpetual is a is a is, is, a, is a big win for me this year I, I, I love the watch i think it's great
0: they've been incredibly clever haven't they i mean they've just aligned things in terms of the case sizing so not wanting to be too technical because that's not always interesting um d- along with the date just collection so they they marry each other side by side so the price point you can you can compare one for the other whereas before there was the the jumps in between so they all now, now are completely aligned and i think them playing with color if it's and i don't use that word Uh, uh, dismissively Mm. Um, it introduces it to a whole new demographic um, uh, not demographic but also age range as well I think I mean you've referenced the candy the turquoise has been an incredible incredibly Mm. popular Um, I know somebody that's getting it for Christmas this year and they're retiring. They don't know they're getting it, and thankfully, this I, I'm assuming this is going to come out slightly after Christmas. So I'm not not ruining it for everyone, but equally, I, I know everybody, as, I know somebody of every age group, every age bracket that loves that watch. Mm-hmm. So they've they've been bold, which Rolex are good at, but with whilst still staying so loyal, as you said, to the nucleus and the foundation of where they've come from. It mm-hmm. all started with the Oyster,
1: and not and not to join the brands in a sibling sense, but we must talk about the Tudor Black Bay Fifty Eight yes. Navy Blue because again. Going back to my friends who perhaps their knowledge and interest in, of watches has grown this year. We should talk about the positives this year. Yeah. I think one of the great positives this year has been the fact that people did, if they were able to, spend more time when they weren't on Zoom calls and hopefully they were working they were able to explore elements of watch and uh, the watch business and watch collecting, and their knowledge grew, ramped up very quickly, I noticed. And then, alongside that, the auction we should talk a little bit about the auction scene because it does impact on people's understanding and respect for what a watch represents, perhaps in its long term valuation. They noticed that watches were. Doing well at auction at a time when a lot of other sectors, a lot of other pillars of the auction world, were not doing quite so well. So in terms of the cohort that I speak to a lot, they were suddenly very interested in watches. And then the Tudor Black Bay 58 Navy Blue came along, and that was the number one. What is this? How do I get one? Why is this such an amazing watch? And then they learn about the French Navy colouring and the history of the 58 and the year that Tudor first went to 200 meters, and you know it just sets them on fire. They love it, and it's mm. it's been a really it's been a really positive thing to watch and then i think this is can only seep out into people exploring other brands perhaps less obviously less recognized mm-hmm. brands than relics and tudor perhaps but it has been a very positive year for that i have to say um i'm thinking of some other, and we should talk about the cartier santos adlc because that's a striking watch i mean they've they've, they've done carbon they've done um uh black I was going to ADLC. say, ADLC. Yeah. yeah, they've done... But this ga- this kind of set the Santos back on its... We loved the launch yeah. in 2018, don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. I mean, it was, perfectly, uh, perf- it was a perfect recreation of, of a Santos for a more contemporary wrist mm-hmm. and a more contemporary market and had, obviously has the fast-change straps and everything. Yeah. It gives it all of the sort of supreme flexibility mm-hmm. that the markets are looking for. And then suddenly it comes in this very dashing all-black. Yeah. I actually prefer the... Uh, again haven't touched the watch so i can't really speak for what it looks like in the flesh but the the part a dlc's black and steel looks amazing yeah, i mean that's yeah. a that's a really handsome watch with the gray dial
0: another theme of the year where a brands have been loyal to their heritage but just pushing the boundaries a little bit being more contemporary for their clients um 2021 predictions gentlemen um. okay let's do it let's break this down really quickly <laughs> okay. in product yeah. and also in terms of the industry okay. how it? so um what what do you think
1: i think in terms of product and it touches on industry i think in terms of product people have seen a lot more product and they've been that, that has been made available to them much more quickly so i think this whole era of see now buy now is mm-hmm. going to only develop and i think you and the brands will work brilliantly together to make sure that you're as you did with the grand seiko piece that you collaborated on i mean that was a that was a perfect benchmark launch of a limited edition piece a colored dial beautiful green dial stunning gmt absolutely out the box walk walk out the door watch i think walk out the door watches that are available to buy when they become Mm -hmm. noticed by your your consumers is going to take over now people have been talking about elements of personalization in watches and i think that will continue but i don't think it's uh, the, i don't think it's the biggest it's not a deal breaker i think for people who love watches i think they want i think by and large they want the houses to create the watches mm-hmm. that they want to desire rather than yeah. they get the option to swap out a bezel mm-hmm. straps and the like may be something that people you know better than i whether people need that industry industry wise i think I know you're going to hate me to say it, but people aren't going to and doubt about waitlists. I mean, I think one thing that this this renewed interest and this growing interest in watches has created this year, when people ring me up and say, hey, I've just been researching this watch, where can I buy one? Well, you can't. Mm -hmm. So I think waitlists are going to be the bane of your lives next year. Um, And... Hopefully, and I say this with respect to those who are waiting for these watches. Hopefully, the number of styles and designs and models that are that are waitlisted will grow, so it won't just be two or three heavily, as we say, hyped pieces um, which become almost impossible to attain. I think there will be a growing waitlist. Well, to be the Tudor Black Bay Fifty Eight Navy Blue. I mean, that's waitlisted. I mean, that is not a with respect to Tudor. It's on a supremely expensive piece it's just a very very desirable watch and I think this is where the industry will find itself not on the back foot but it will find itself having to cope with more dare I say it negative feedback than they're probably used to even now and I think this is something that they may have to manage out of. I wouldn't want to be the person who has to manage the matter. <laughs> no, no,
2: but I, I think I think the the point about people who were were were, f, were either furloughed or working from home, weren't travelling, didn't go on holiday, and, and, and they've they have accumulated some uh, some money, fortunately for some people. Uh, and as you're saying, all that research online, I think that probably has. Sort of propagated an expansion of uh, of waiting lists because people have suddenly thought about a submarine and suddenly they've got if they're lucky enough to have eight or nine thousand pounds in the, in their bank that they haven't been on Holy etc they're wanting to know maybe why I can't get that watch now then you know now they've got this interesting watcher so yeah it probably will be a little bit difficult I I
1: don't think the problem will go away but perhaps there will be a greater transparency as to around why there is a problem because at at the same time this year I noticed and it started late last year I think the Omega um, 007 watch that Daniel Mm -hmm. Craig took a hand in designing Um, it's unlimited but there is a limit to how many pieces can be manufactured in any calendar year as there are cars or refrigerators but i noticed on a few uh, calls people were saying well when you say it's unlimited how many are you making and they're saying well we're only making as many as we can physically manufacture Uh so it's only limited by the number of hands on (laughs) on machinery we can bring to the task so i think there is there is a need for a little bit of informed understanding on both sides if you see what i mean i think the brands have felt that people shouldn't ask about waitlist and those who are asking are just saying I just need clarity you know what are I waiting Mm -hmm. for and um, as I say I'm stepping out of the Mm -hmm. kernel of those pieces which we don't need to dignify with their names to drive those lists any longer Mm -hmm. so um, it will be interesting to see if there's a little bit more transparency about how uh, her watches come into being.
0: And conversely on the waiting list and the research element that you brought up um, perhaps people will be a bit more considered and realise they don't necessarily need those specific watches and um, there's a bit more. It's not just the very, very big brands or the real commercial element. They will might think about um, a brand that's got a slightly different heritage, like Zenith, for example. Or, mm. So, I'd, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if it's going to have an effect at all. You've spoken about the negatives, but equally it could be um, con- more consideration on the purchases. Mm.
1: And very quickly, I think that the interest in online auctions, which did absolutely proliferate during the lockdown, I mean, the number of online auctions that took place, Was phenomenal and very responsive to the situation because it was a small pack. It's a small item that can be transported very relatively quickly. It's not a Picasso, you know. You can get involved at a very regular rate. At the same time, the sale of the Tagliero Monaco that um, Steve McQueen gifted to his mechanic after the Le Mans filming, you know, went for over two million dollars. So that to yeah. your point Faye really gets noticed and then people say well tell me about Tagorea tell yeah. me about the Monaco oh the Carrera has been relaunched this yeah. year so there is an extraordinary um uh, I think there's a there's a massive uptick in understanding and interest around watches which is as I say is one of the very few silver linings of what has been a pretty terrible year
0: and mark your predictions for next year
1: goodness me
2: um I well um I, I mean from a um I, I, I spend a lot of time um, working on, on, on Patek and uh, I think um, I from them I would like to see if, you know, I'm, I don't have a crystal ball, but um, I think they ought to expand the Calatrava line a little bit more. Um, because that was something that was missed. I, I think you know the six zero zero seven that w- that we mentioned. They were making a thousand of those. So maybe that's where all the automatic movements went <laughs> that would have normally been in the ca- in, in sort of Calatrava. So I think that would be a, 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 I wouldn't say accessible Patek, but but something around twenty five, twenty, twenty thousand pounds from, from from Patek would 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 be great uh, to to re reenergize energise perhaps a Calatrava line. Uh, that's just a a kind of personal wish from me. Um, but i mean we have got we have got things to look forward to that we know about already like uh, and you mentioned the uh, you mentioned amiga the, the the silver snoopy i mean that's uh, that is a waiting list um you know uh, a waiting list watch but it is limited production but that's good that's an amazingly playful watch with the uh with the sort of lunar module go on on the on the case back going around the dark side of the moon um when when the chronographs activate i mean that, that's that's fun um, that's a stunning piece. it really is i mean yeah. that was yeah.
1: to, very quickly they the, the, again it was a virtual launch that i witnessed and they when the uh when the omega colleague in uh, in bern turned the watch over and he explored the whole architecture of how snoopy yes. sits behind the moon and only appears from behind the moon 14 seconds after you deploy the chronograph hand It's, it's just it's which true. for those that yes. followed the uh, history yes. of apollo 13 knows yes. is yes. how long that the uh, burners yes. had to uh, had to fire in order to uh, get rerouted back to earth i mean that and level
0: of re- authenticity yeah. is that yeah. attention yeah. to detail isn't it it really is and it's the story, story you've, again, got to applaud them. you've
1: got you've got to take your hat off to them yeah. because it's just a phenomenal piece of engineering Mm -hmm. and if you think about the 2015 anniversary piece which basically quadrupled in value in about three years flat this is these are the sort of stories that actually translate into demand and and demand fuels demand and fuels demand but we need a trickle down and do you
0: have any idea what you've just (laughs) done (laughs) for waiting for (laughs) us on those watches (laughs) i (laughs) do apologize
1: (laughs) probably something transparent about it no 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 there's no secret so it's just it's just
0: that that's you know it's just it's fueling it Um, finally one last question and perhaps you could both answer with um one word answer 2020 a year to remember or a year to forget
1: i oh, remember how will you ever forget this year it's been a defining year i mean it's for so many reasons good bad very few indifferent even the weather was brilliant in spring i mean everything about this year has been extraordinary so let's just say we'll never forget 2020 I,
2: i'd agree remember i mean you can't you can't write this off as a as a as a, as a year to forget um, I mean there's obviously lot, lots of difficulties but you know from a from a watch perspective it, it's been uh, it's been great and you know, as, as Bill says the weather was great in May great. You know, so <laughs> pretty, <laughs> wonderful. Um, pretty wonderful
0: mother nature has a funny way of working yeah. Yeah. Um, so Bill Mark thank you so much for your thoughts today and a review of what's been a remarkable year you're right not a year to forget um, a year of uncertainty for everybody everywhere However, brand loyalty has remained as customer confidence in spending on considered purchases seems to be unwavered and, in fact, increasing in many areas. In a period where so many retailers are facing challenging, if not crushing times, as a business, we've not taken anything for granted. When 12 months ago we barely heard of COVID-19, the challenges it's presented has not stopped us and customer service for us has been vital. I've always had the approach in our industry that it's product-led, but now I've come to realise it's, it's come a second, uh, a close second, as this year has very much been people-led for me. Um, in the knowledge we don't actually sell anything that's considered a necessity, and we've certainly learned that this year, I can say with humility and we as an industry and as a group have adapted, responded and remained positive throughout. And I for one looking for, look forward to a much brighter year with my colleagues, brand partners, and of course with the two of you. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you. Thank
1: you, Faye. That's very kind. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Calibre podcast. We do hope you enjoyed it. Please do subscribe and listen to other episodes on Apple Podcast and Spotify.